Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yeah. We always start Happy Hour with some good news before <laughs> we go to the dark side. <laughs> so, you know, there's so much good news out there right now. It was hard to pick. But I think I'm going to have to go with the news that um, Joe Biden um, apparently now his two to three day work week when he finally arrives back at the White House. Um, they have to put like a little path out for him, like rose petals or something. So he knows where he's going. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's, yeah. I've seen the walk. It's uh, it's embarrassing. They should put him in that thing you put the toddlers in. That's like a circle with the wheels, you know, so they can't fall over, but they can walk. <laughs> you know, like we'll be in, we'll know we're in real trouble when he gets off of Air Force One or the heli, not Air Force One, that whatever helicopter, a Marine One, um, and he's in one of those little hoppers or something. That's really encouraging. I'm confident. I feel I have a lot of confidence right now after hearing that, Julie. Wow, it's great. If anyone That's needs great. a laugh, I would suggest looking that up because that was hysterical. Like the Secret Service guy was even like, "Okay, Grandpa, we're going this way," and he just what? like wandered practically into the bushes. So did he give a treat? Like, did he lead him with like a treat? Like, here's a treat. You know, the way that you would kind of get your kid to do something or your pet or something. Like, here's a, a trail of candy. Jeez. <laughs> so that mystery Gross. voice that you're hearing. Dear listener, is our friend Cash Patel. He is joining us today. We're thrilled to have him. We've been wanting to have him on for a while, and he finally consented, so we would stop harassing him. Um, oh, I'm thrilled phone. to be here. Thanks so much for having me. So, Cash, as we know, is one of the few like true fighters, warriors on our side. Thank God we have him. And uh, he's got all sorts of good stuff going on. Uh, but we are happy to have him on. So, Cash, thanks for finally joining us. Uh, I'm so glad to be with you guys. You guys are pushing out great uh, actual information. So it's one of the few places to talk facts, and I'm happy to be here. So, Liz, do you, why don't you get started? You always oh, you have want- so many probative questions. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Um, I do have some questions for you about your time in the administration, and this is more um, I guess also an administrative type question. Sure. We heard so many different things during the Trump, the Trump's time in the in the White House about how there's this deep state and they simply would ignore hit the directions coming from the White House, which are not really suggestions, they're orders. Um, but and yet people would just employees, uh, staff, they would just not do what they were instructed to do. So how does that work? I mean, the people literally in the agencies just laugh. I mean, they get memos and then they're like, we're not doing this. And then nothing happens because most of our listeners, except for, you know, our new, new listeners from the department of justice. um, (laughs) Most of our listeners are regular people who have regular jobs. And if they're told to do something by their supervisor and they just don't do it, they would risk their job. So what is it like in the federal government? Like, give us kind of an inside look of how the deep state state obstructed Trump's agenda. Yeah, absolutely. So, look, after, you know, after 16 years in government service and doing multiple administrations, you know, starting out as like a federal public defender, then a terrorism prosecutor under Obama and then going over to the military as a civilian, you know, you, you just you follow the chain of command and you also had 
for the most part, up until 2015, when President Trump jumped into the election, a media that would generally report um, facts and call out either side, generally, not always, but it, once he got elected, the sort of two landscapes blew up. The media landscape, as you guys very well, totally blew up, and they went far left, and they went with so many false narratives. But the the problem was they coupled with this, you know, this deep state within government, which is one of the most dangerous things to our republic, because if you're in government as a career service officer, uh, which so many millions of us are, your job uh, is to serve the chain of command and no matter what. And obviously, as long as it's lawful and every action President Trump issued under his presidency was lawful. So but these folks at the deep state, you know, the Lisa Pages, the Peter Strzok's of the world, the Annie McCabe's, the Comey's, it wasn't just career folks. It was shockingly, as you know, as as we learned during my time um, leading the Russiagate investigation for Chairman Nunes on House Intel when I was over on the committee, was that so many people took it upon themselves, coupled with the mainstream media, to hijack a duly elected president. And it was just it was the most shocking thing for what's supposed to be the biggest and best democracy in the world. And when you have cabinet officers who refuse to follow the orders of their commander in chief, you're just shocked. But they provided the cover necessary for their deep state cronies to uh, obfuscate and obstruct the president's orders. And, you know, I finally got over to the White House to run counterterrorism for the president, which was like, the you know, a dream job of mine. And you would see it day in and day out with the interagency that, you know, from my perspective, I'll give you a little anecdotal uh, piece. You know, President Trump's orders were clear. Wipe out al-Qaeda senior leadership, kill the emirs of ISIS, bring home American hostages, safeguard our border. And also, when I eventually became chief of staff at DOD, it was to end the forever wars. Pretty simple from a national security perspective and pretty apolitical. But um, as you know, we can go through example after example. These folks just stalled and muddied that process because they thought they could save America from a duly elected president. It was just insane. Well, let me ask a follow up then. And then, Julie, you can ask. So my follow up is how now I give Trump some slack. We're not we're not totally Trump. Trump. We're not Trump robots and zombies here. Mm -hmm. But I do give Trump some slack on, you know, coming from entirely outside the government, not being familiar with how the government works and how large it is. So I, I do give him some slack on kind of not knowing what exactly his obstacles were going to be going into office. So from, for, from having been on the inside, what would you suggest the next, if we ever have another Republican president, how do you come in and fight? You know, I guess you, you can start with getting good cabinet secretaries, but you know, what are there 5 million people that work for the federal government? I mean, how do you, deal with something like that when you're the president you don't have the 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 ability to helicopter every single employee in the government so what's what could have been done differently do you think no that's a great question and i think we learned the hard way that there was too much trust placed in the career service folks to to run the government per the commander-in-chief who was elected uh, per his direction and there was such an animosity towards him that they cast aside all ethics and all obligations under government regulations to follow that chain of command. But how you fix that, you hinted at it. Yes, personnel. 
personnel is critical and not just at the cabinet secretary level, but what folks in America don't realize is two, three, four rungs below every cabinet secretary are all high level appointments by a president that need to be made properly so that those agencies and departments follow not the chain of command from the president to the cabinet secretary on down, you know, the deputy secretary levels, the undersecretary levels, the assistant secretary of states, all of those positions across government need to be filled by people who are supportive of the duly elected president. And what happened was we just didn't do that. And when you don't do that, sure, you have the mid-level folks. Um, and, and let me be clear, most of the people I worked in with government for 16 years across multiple administrations do the job. But if you give a few mid-level folks too much power and too much top cover from their deputies on up, then they feel as if they can overcome a White House, which is what they did. The FBI and DOJ are just prime examples. And then so is obviously the DOD and to a certain extent the CIA and Regina Haspel. And now we see the total politicization of the military with uh, with Chairman Milley's actions. So you need to remove politics, at least from the national security apparatus. It used to never be like that. And for some reason, the American public and the mainstream media have been convinced that it's okay to do whatever is politically convenient for them, even if it conflicts with the duly elected administration, but you got to have the right people in place. And we just didn't. Okay. That's good. Good answer. Okay, Julie. And now it's, as you know, cash, it's just accelerated under the Biden uh, regime. I mean, at least give Obama some credit. He tried to keep most of what he was doing, Mm -hmm. you know, behind the scenes, but This DOJ intelligence community, um, Avril Haines and all the Obama loyalists, they're not even trying to hide it, right? (laughs) At least least, uh, some parts of Crossfire Hurricane they were trying to conceal from the public. But now you've got Lisa Monaco and Avril Haines and Merrick Garland and everyone just out in front kind of taunting all of us with we are completely weaponizing these agencies from IC to defense, home now uh, Homeland Security, and of course, DOJ. And there's nothing you could do about it. And I'd love your input as to how the fact that no one has been held accountable for FISA gate, uh, crossfire hurricane, whatever you want to call it. Um, how does that play into where we are now? Well, so that's a great question. It's a couple of things. Like as the guy who, you know, spearheaded the the investigation for Devin Nunes and then the FISA abuse memo and all the material we put out, we did that for is just what you said, accountability, because, you know, these people at the DOJ and FBI want to execute and mete out justice for American citizens uh, abroad. But I said, where's the accountability internally when you screw up, when you lie to a federal judge, when you withhold evidence, when you suppress exculpatory information against American citizens and wiretap them? You know, that is such egregious conduct, especially for me, who was a terrorism prosecutor who did FISAs day in and day out, and they serve a good purpose. But when you abuse that authority, you know, Devin and I were like, we have to show the light. And unfortunately, in congressional oversight, you only have so much power. We were able to get 17 individuals from the director of the FBI on down fired or retired or resigned early because we were able to, thanks to the good work of folks like you, Julie, and Liz, who were able to put out the information to the American public. It took years. But that's only the start of accountability. And the problem with the current leadership is they have the mainstream media in their pocket, and they do one thing that we never did, be it when I was at House Intel or when I was in the administration or running DNI with Rick Grinnell. We never leaked classified information for political benefit. 
And yeah. these guys do it recklessly and intentionally. And there's no DOJ that's willing to prosecute them, which to me, as a former federal prosecutor, and this is why I left the Department of Justice, because there was just no internal accountability. I ran Benghazi for main justice, and I just thought this was the worst way to handle one of the biggest prosecutions in American history. And there was no internal accountability. And I was tragically proven wrong again with Russiagate and again with the actions of the folks that you listed, Avril Haines and Lisa Monaco and whatnot, because they know they can peddle a story and rely on the mainstream media to cite anonymous sources and create this false narrative that somehow there's a crisis there, you know, running DOD on Jan 6, you know, just turning to that, there was no, from the military standpoint, there was no crisis. We had the situation fully under control because President Trump gave us all the authorities we needed uh, days ahead of the, uh, of, ahead of Jan 6. And it was a law enforcement function where Chris Ray totally failed the American public but there's no accountability there because the mainstream media doesn't want to write about it and doesn't want to talk about it. But, you know, at least you guys are leading the way and pounding that pounding that pavement. And, you know, unfortunately, that's that's what we have to keep doing to get the narratives out. It's it's just 10 times harder for us. Um, I have a, a follow up on that about especially about Chris Ray. So um, is Chris Ray just like an idiot and incompetent or do you think he was <laughs> intentionally, you know, like for let me go back to Charlotte's the Charlottesville situation he mm-hmm. in Virginia that we had at the beginning of Trump's term where they had set up the situation the authorities in the state and um I believe was Terry McAuliffe the governor I can't remember mm-hmm. they're the they're all the same they're Democrat governors here although <laughs> the degree of blackface is the only thing that differ that differs but yeah. <laughs> they intentionally kind of set up a situation where the KKK people were going to be face to face with Antifa with you know, the idea that there is going to be like, sh- there's gonna be a shit storm and they are going to be able to, cu- you know, use that for an advantage. So I'm wondering, is that kind of what happened on January 6th where they're like, hey, we're not going to do anything and just let, you know, let it all let it go to hell. And, you know, so we can have a crisis or is he is he just an idiot? I mean, I, I don't know which one. And I I, I want to think he's not an idiot, but I don't know. So what's yeah, your, look, what's your let opinion? me give you stark, let me just maybe portray an example from that time around the January 6th incident and answer your question directly. I don't think Chris Ray is an idiot. He's a really smart guy. Um, and that's what makes it dangerous because he's intentionally doing or lack or not doing what he did. So on January 6th, when I was chief of staff at DOD and we were fielding calls from, you know, the secretary of defense and I were taking calls from congressional leadership, from the White House from the attorney general, from DHS, Homeland Secretary of Security, you know, the only person who failed to be on all those calls was Chris Ray, And we were shocked because the protection of the U.S. Capitol is a law enforcement function. It is a it, it could have easily been surrounded by a no climb fence from law enforcement. It could easily have Chris Ray could have deployed a thousand federal agents to stand in uniform, in equipment and gear around the Capitol to protect that day. And it's, as you know, we've now found out that the FBI had information ahead of time that they didn't share that um, things could go uh, haywire or a little crazy on January 6th. And let's put that aside and say the FBI didn't have it. Here's the best example. Why were all the Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts boarded up on January 4, 5, and 6? They have a better intelligence stream than the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And the irony of it all is Nancy Pelosi calling me, calling us and screaming about Where's the military after the Lafayette Park incident where they torched President Trump? And then on January 6th saying, why isn't uniformed military armed with tanks and machine guns securing the White House, uh, excuse me, the Capitol? 
that's because it's illegal for the military to do that. It's literally illegal to deploy the military domestically uh, for technicality. And and these people were just screaming at the top of their lungs at us on January 6th as to where where the military was. And we said, we're here. We did the fastest cold start deployment of National Guard in U.S. history since the Civil War uh, in 48 hours. We had, to, And that's what the National Guard for is there to help and assist augment law enforcement. They are not to supplant them and replace them. And Nancy Pelosi's concern, and I don't think I've shared this with anyone, on January 6th, shortly after Ashley Babbitt was shot, she calls over to the Secretary of Defense's office and asks me and the Secretary of Defense when Congressional Food Services was going to be restored so her members could eat. Oh, my gosh. What? Oh, dear. Yeah. And me and the Secretary of Defense did a double take with a lot of other people on the line and thought that's not what she that's not what she just said. And then she cited the room number. That's the cafeteria for congressional members to eat in. And we said, ma'am, with all due respect, we're trying to secure the situation and a perimeter and assist law enforcement who should be clearing your building. And by the way, following continuity of government protocol, we had flown congressional leadership out out of Congress and over to Fort McNair. So she wasn't even there. So wait, like, was this did she know that there had been this? Breach, it, or would she just not know? Like, she wanted her ice cream. Did she want her special twenty dollar <laughs> yeah. gallon ice cream? Go back to get her hundred thousand dollar ice cream in in San Francisco because I don't even think she could figure out a way to sneak that into Congress. But that was her concern wow. on that day. I think wow. AOC wanted to be fed before she was murdered. Right, right. Oh, no, and wait. It's just and look, here's here's all they have. The January sixth narrative. Is the is the thing they want to continue forever because as piece of work through the work that you guys have done has shown that we had actually none of the protesters killed anyone and they weren't responsible for any of the deaths but the media ran with it anyway and that narrative got out and it sort of stood instead of the actual truth and no one that's been charged on January 6th has been charged with insurrection or treason or sedition or violent acts or murder because that's not what they did now a few people on January 6th definitely broke the law and definitely overreach. Mm-hmm. They should be prosecuted, but it's not to the degree that the uh, media is portraying it, but that's why Nancy Pelosi and congressional leadership don't want January 6th narrative to end. Between that and COVID and the false narratives on COVID, that's the only way they are securing the mainstream media's support to further, unfortunately, you know, misuse uh, a tragic incident in U.S. history for political gain. Well, I think the media is all too eager to go along with it, too, because they don't want the responsibility of covering the Biden administration because it's so incompetent. And there's been so many problems. You know, we've got a major problem at the southern border. Um, Looks like the covid vaccine story seems to be troubled now that vaccinated people are getting the virus and spreading it. And so they would love to do nothing more than focus on things that don't highlight the Biden administration's incompetence. But just one quick question before I go over to Julie, which is, you know, I remember on January 6th, and I've asked Julie about this, and we have not been able to find any information, and maybe you might know. We were told, I th- which who was it? Ayanna Presley said that her panic bu- buzzers were forcibly removed from her office. Do you remember that story? Um, yeah. Where she, yeah. What's do we have any follow up on that? Like who removed them? Were they removed? Um, I don't know. Just I guess it's like the bombers, the guys that set the bombs that they don't know who 
who did that either. I don't know. Yeah, we don't know about those. Uh, and I'm not sure what happened with the congressional buttons. But let me, having been a senior staffer on House Intel, you know, the the the, the Capitol Police, for the large part, are awesome Americans. Like, they helped protect us when we were there. They do a great job. And unfortunately, they've been so politicized by Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats and the media that they've actually shown their own incompetence and leadership at this highest level because here's what should have happened two days before january 6th we the department of defense went to the capitol police and congressional leadership and said hey if you guys need it the president has authorized 10,000 to 20,000 national guardsmen and women to be employed and deployed around the u.s but under the law that congress passed we can't do so unilaterally you congress and the capitol police and nancy pelosi have to make a request and they literally said, no, thank you. And there's an unclassified timeline that we put out on, on from the Department of Defense. That's uh, probably like nine or 10 pages, minute by minute, where Mariel Bowser refused additional requests for assistance, where Capitol Police refused, where the FBI was totally missing in action. And so those are the things that I would hope people focus on onto where was the failures uh, surrounding January 6th. And and no one, almost no one's talking about them. Thankfully, you guys are. But the facts kind of speak for themselves. And that's why they don't want to turn to the facts. And they want to use Jan 6th and COVID, if I can just say for real quick, you know, look what President Trump did with COVID. It took us seven years to get a polio vaccine. He did it in eight months. Then we unleashed Operation Warp Speed at the Department of Defense, which I was fortunate enough to be a part of its leadership. And we were vaccinating millions of people before January 20th a week. That is impressive. And President Biden even said, or elect President-elect Biden said at the time, the vaccine rollout mandate should, not mandate, the rollout should continue and its efficacy should continue. But fast forward to this date and they have, thanks to St. Fauci, a total failure in their leadership under COVID and the distribution of COVID. But they all they want to do is just blame President Trump when he's the one that got us the vaccine and distributed it. Yeah, this is, this is really going sideways quickly, I think, for the Biden people. And, um, you know, now the news coming out about the vaccine and its efficacy and, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this all unfolds over the flu season, Um, you know, October, obviously, through March and what happens that will give us a good indication of what these vaccines are doing what they're not doing. But yes, um, I mean, I have a lot of disagreements and have from the very beginning of all this with Mm -hmm. how the president and the White House handled um, coronavirus. But to the extent that the vaccines give people some peace of mind and, you know, the long term impact of whether they have minimized symptoms, I think uh, we'll find out, you know, in due course. But um, it I it's just it's infuriating to see this all starting over again. I mean, I really thought we were past this and, but it seems like this is the only coronavirus is the only uh, high marks that Joe Biden gets. And so I think as his approval ratings are crashing on the economy, on immigration, on crime, uh, they're sort of ginning this back up um, to bolster his perceived popularity. But um, Cash, can I get back to you, uh, uh, back to January 6th? I have a couple of questions. Um, What was the information that you guys gathered ahead of time or on that day about law enforcement using 
crowd control devices such as sting balls, flashbangs, tear gas, et cetera, on the crowd. What Were you guys getting those reports as it was happening? So that's a great question. And, and I was over at DOD um, as chief of staff running it with uh, the secretary of defense or acting SecDef Miller. And so from a, from our standpoint, right, we are not allowed to collect intelligence domestically. It's illegal. But law enforcement is allowed to collect that information and they should be sharing it with their cabinet secretary partners. That is Chris Ray should be on the phone with the attorney general and the secretary of defense and the homeland secretary saying that this is happening in real time and that was not happening. And what's totally ironic is the mainstream media blaming the Department of Defense and the CIA and the NSA for not collecting against American citizens on January 6th to because we were in charge of the leadership. But the only one they gave a pass to was Chris Ray, and that was the only person who actually had the legal authority to preemptively collect this intelligence and stop any incidences from happening on January 6th, and he totally failed. And we went on the record and said, you know, to folks repeatedly, like, we can't collect. We don't have access to that intelligence by law and for good reason. We 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 don't want the United States of American of America and its citizens being spied on by its military and intelligence community apparatus like the CIA and the NSA. That's not what our founding fathers had in mind. And so we didn't have much coming in in real time except for what was on TV. And when we tried to get Chris Ray on the phone, he refused to participate. You know, I would like to just point out that a lot of the people who were arrested in the charging documents talk about how they knew there was going to be trouble. And that's why they had like pepper spray that they were they were doing what they could to protect themselves because they knew there were going to be trouble. So it's like everybody knew there was going to be trouble, Mm -hmm. except the actual people whose job it is to know that there's going to be trouble. That's oh. just my assessment. <laughs> and that goes back to my Dunkin' Donuts Starbucks. It's not an analogy. They literally, those people had been boarded up for days. You know, they had access to social media and Twitter and all the other big tech guys. And all that information was out there. And that's what the FBI need and needs and should be evaluating. That's their job. So this information was out there, as you pointed out. And going back to your original question, that's why I don't think Chris Ray is stupid. I just think they completely failed on that day because they didn't want to uh, let the American public know that the FBI was in charge by law. And the mainstream media helped satisfy the mainstream media's political narrative that somehow DOD and the CIA and NSA were responsible for intelligence collection and security on that day. And that's just not the law. It just seems... orchestrated and maybe I'm just too close to it now and I'm going down all these rabbit holes, but it just seems so orchestrated that Pelosi and Bowser did not want to request the additional troops. And then Chris Ray was MIA on sending people there or at least collaborating with you guys and others to protect the Capitol. Um, And then seeing how the DC police and U S Capitol police behaved on that day. It's, What what do you think about speculation that this was exactly what they wanted to happen? Well, I think from a political narrative, that's what they 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 wanted to happen. Um, You know, I will say, obviously, not the deaths and injuries, but from a political narrative, they always wanted, as was shown repeatedly through the Trump administration, any narrative, false or otherwise, that would hurt Trump and advance their agenda. And that's why I said Jan 6th and COVID are the two last pillars they have left to stand on and which is why they don't want those narratives to ever end because so many in the american public 
have been misinformed by disinformation from the media, and they now believe um, the opposite of what actually happened. And they believe that, you know, quote unquote, this insurrection was possible when she was never possible. And when you have individuals like Mark Milley, the highest ranking uniformed officer in the military, who's supposed to be the most apolitical figure in America, running to the hill to save his job to say, I want to understand white rage and what caused a thousand people thousands of people to to uh, uh, upturn or overturn the Constitution. And, I, and I, what I said to that is like, I couldn't disagree more. Thousands of people were upholding their rights under the Constitution on January 6th in peaceful protests. A few of them got carried away and they should be held accountable. But that's not what the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff should be commenting on. And furthermore, his narrative that white supremacy is the biggest um, national security concern at the Department of Defense is insane. I mean, just think about that. More than China, more than Iran, more than Russia, and so many other terrorists around the world, white supremacy in the DOJ from the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd, and Chairman Milley is what they are most focused on. And that just shows you how they've bought into the political narrative to keep their jobs and keep the mainstream media happy. Cash, where were you in June of 2020? Were you at DNI then? I was just finishing being the number two at DNI under Rick Grinnell and transitioning back to the White House, if I remember correctly, to run counterterrorism for the president. Because I'm interested in that June 1st meeting with Milley and Esper and Bill Barr with Trump, where reportedly Trump talked about um, authorizing the Insurrection Act to send troops into the these cities that were being destroyed by BLM and Antifa. Um, just are, yeah, as this relates I, to I, the whole. I don't have insight on the, that meeting. I wasn't, I don't know if I was back at the White House full time, but if I was or not, I don't have any firsthand knowledge of, of that meeting. Because it just seemed like Millie, even back then, was trying to undermine what Trump was doing. Quite frankly, maybe Bill Barr, too. He he ended up being a disappointment. <laughs> That's for yeah. sure. But, you know, no surprise that those individuals were pandering um, at that point to the media rather than doing their jobs. I mean, you know, I, most people think of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and they think of this guy in movies who's got tons of ribbons and badges and stars on his uniform who, you know, who does this apolitical job. But this has been the most destructive chairman in U.S. history because he's the most political figure. He's more political at certain points than Nancy Pelosi and, and Joe Biden themselves. Mm-hmm. And when he's running up the hill appeasing Democrats. When I worked with this guy uh, over when I was chief of staff and before that, I worked with him. And, you know, I remember a time when he put national security first and didn't give a lick about politics. And unfortunately, now it's just the opposite. That is alarming, and it makes me wonder what's going on in the military that someone like that can ascend up through the ranks. Um, and you know, I also think that that was an assumption Trump made too about uh, a lot of the military that he depended on to get information and to also carry out his um, orders, like get out of Afghanistan. And then you know, you have bureaucrats snickering about how they just lied about the troop levels to the commander in chief. So, you know, that's what's being exploited now to the public when they hear someone like Millie and he's in his suit. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember Vinman, Lieutenant, yeah. whatever, Lieutenant yeah. Colonel General, whatever, <laughs> Kelly Donut, when he showed up and put on his 
uniform for like the first time in what 10 years he what kind of waddled in with his 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 uniform that was probably t- altered taken out a little so he's a husky gentleman um you know that they use that to you know because the average person does think that they think the military is impartial you know they see these high level military with their decorations and go oh, they're war heroes they're impartial and um you know and those political figures use that to convince you know to spread their their narrative um did you see a lot of that when you were in the administration that a lot of people who otherwise were thought to be just apolitical in workers or appoint not appointments well i guess some of those appointments went si- sideways too mm-hmm. um you, you don't want to think that but you know did you see a lot of 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 political political behavior from the rank and file or do you think it's just really the top levels and mid levels or whatever that it's a little, it's a little combination of the both of both of those along with the coupling with the mainstream media and their 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 thesis was let's politicize the national security apparatus of the United States. And let's take a top-down approach. I mean, in Afghanistan, as you raised, like, look at the secretaries of defense we had to get rid of, Mattis and Esper, who failed to follow the commander-in-chief's order of getting out of Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, um, and Somalia, for example. And they just didn't do it. President Trump ran on that. He instituted that policy when he came into power, and they failed to do it. And then it was left to Chris Miller and I to do it in the last 90 days or so when we took over the Defense Department. But then when you add people like a Vindman or a Fiona Hill, and these are two characters who I served with on the National Security Council who I'd never met or spoken to, but they took it upon themselves to throw me into the middle of the impeachment hoax regarding the Ukraine uh, uh, matter and President Trump. And the mainstream media made up this entire narrative that I was advising President Trump at a meeting on the Ukraine which could not be more false. And when you couple that with leadership that gives you top cover and senior officials and mid-level officials like Vindman and Fiona Hill, who know they have the mainstream media to do their bidding, um, then they get away with it. But if you fast forward to the congressional testimony regarding the impeachment hoax on Ukraine, Fiona Hill and Alexander Vindman had to, had to admit under congressional testimony in front of the world that they had never met me and they don't even know me. So how could they possibly advance a narrative uh, that was totally false, and they did so with the assistance of the mainstream media and people like Adam Schiff. Let's talk about real quick, um, not quickly, but you know what you have gone through personally. I mean, I know you and Representative Nunes, and um, you know maybe Jack Langer, just the handful of you who really took on this <laughs> this monster from the start. Uh, beginning in 2017. And many times it was just, you know, the few of you who were doing this, the Republicans even abandoned you and betrayed you in some cases. What, what is that? Talk a little bit about what you've seen, what you've experienced as they've tried to attack you, really destroy you, destroy Representative Nunes, even his family. Like what, what has that been like for you the past five years? Well, it's just one of those things where I never imagined myself going up to the hill and, and you know, by chance I met Devin and I was thinking I was going to go to the National Security Council and he asked me to come over to the hill to run the Russiagate investigation. And at the time, years ago, we didn't think it was going to be that big of a story. We would put together a report and go on the shelves in Congress and we would move on with our lives. And obviously we were we were pretty wrong because of what we what we uncovered. But what we 
And we kept going on that because that was the job. That was the mission. It always mattered more. But what was surprising to us was when they started attacking me as a staffer, which was, it's unheard of. It's just not done. But Adam Schiff and his cronies, Swalwell and company, saw fit to use their media counterparts to out me as a staffer who was spearheading the charge and then making personal attacks at me. And I remember one of the first articles written about me, they called me a genocidal dictator. And I was just like, I don't even I don't even know how to compute that. Like, I'm I'm not even a uniformed military guy. Like, what are you saying? And I'm just a staffer running an investigation on Cong on on Congress on Capitol Hill. And it was just shocking. And that was the first salvo. But that's when Devin and I knew like that the landscape had shifted. And the more we kept getting shelled, and Devin, unfortunately, his family got shelled too, the more we knew we were over the target because here's what happened. The media bought and sold the narrative that President Trump conspired with the Russian government to hijack an election. What so many Americans wanted to believe was true and what Adam Schiff peddled for years. What we showed was the exact opposite, that the Democratic Party, the Hillary Clinton campaign, foreign intelligence officers such as Christopher Steele and Russians conspired together to take down President Trump and his presidency. I mean, if you think about that last sentence, that's mm-hmm. Political scandal in U.S. history, coupled with the DOJ and FISA abuse that we've been able to show, how can people not want accountability from that? And they don't because the mainstream media has so much animosity towards President Trump that they just didn't want to let it happen. And my personal attacks kept coming, be it from the Times or Politico or CNN. And at a certain point, I just said, these are totally false. Like, you can't throw me in the middle of a presidential impeachment. I mean, just think about that for a second. I'm a career national security guy. I was never even a political appointee in this administration until the very end. And they were coming after me as if I was some political hack. And I said, I've been doing this for 16 years. I did it for Obama. I did it, you know, for Trump. I did it before that, too. And I don't know why you're throwing me into this narrative. So I said, um, it's time to start suing these people for defamation. So I launched a couple of lawsuits against the Times and Politico and CNN, and and it got a lot of attention. And that's where sort of the momentum started to to build, where other Americans were like, we really want you guys to take them on, but we want you to take them on for us because other people were affected too. I, I, I think the hardest pill to swallow after the Trump administration and after the impeachment, one impeachment, two Russia collusion hoax, um, and a lot of the stuff is that people generally want to think that their government is working. You know, they they it's a, it's a, it's hard for people to accept the fact that these agencies and a lot of these figures, not that necessarily the people in them, but these positions, they're they're one of respect. You know, people. Like the FBI, they they want to respect that, you know, the Department of Justice. Oh, well, they wouldn't do that if there wasn't something bad going on or or any of these other high level officials. And to just be able to just to have to step back and and absorb the fact that that's not necessarily what's going on. And I think there's probably a lot. Most people that work for the government are good and they are there and they're great public servants. But. You know, I think there are some people that feel like they're on some moral crusade to, I don't know, save the dummies of the dummy Trump voters from themselves or something, because even though they hate Trump, they really hate the voters that supported Trump. (laughs) You know, it, it, it is Trump, but it's more than Trump. It's the people. I mean, it's really contemptuous 
of the public who puts their trust into these individuals. No, it's and and that's that hits it right on the head. And talk about the ultimate trifecta where you have cabinet level officials, the a mainstream media that's willing to take it that take it on uh, falsely, and also one or two mid-level appointees here and there. And you're right, most of the people I serve with in the Department of Defense and the IC and government, awesome, great Americans from all political walks. But when you have a few that band together and you have a media who's willing to prop you up and make you a hero, a false hero like Peter Strzok or Lisa Page or Andy McCabe or James Comey, um, you know, these guys go get million dollar book deals and TV deals for lying to the American public and breaking, probably breaking the law. Um, and there's no accountability. And that's what causes their Americans writ large confidence to be shattered in in our institutions like DOJ, FBI and DOD. And and it's just, you know, as a career guy, you know, who just retired, it's just truly tragic that that's what this government has become because of a select few and the lack of accountability is just ticking people off. And you're right. All they do is their counterpunches. Well, it's Trump and Trump voters, and we were on the moral crusade, as you say, to to save America. And I was like, well, that's not the law. You're not saving America from anyone. You're actually breaking the Constitution for your personal benefit. Shouldn't you guys be prosecuted? To quote the great American scholar, Representative Maxine Waters, <laughs> what are they going to do to stop us? <laughs> right? right? Didn't she just say that? Yeah. How are they going to stop us? And there it oh. is. <laughs> there it is. You know. <laughs> And it's, I think I do think that is a big part of January 6th. And I keep hearing this by judges and even prosecutors. They are highly offended that hundreds of thousands of Americans came to what they consider their personal professional fiefdom, that they dared to enter this building that is not the people's house anymore. It's Pelosi's house. Mm-hmm. Like they felt like their personal territory was invaded by you know, the Indiana grandma or the veteran from Texas, like, how dare you come here and protest what we are doing? Mm -hmm. And you can definitely hear that on a personal level, especially from these judges, these fixtures, you know, Royce Lambert or Tom Hogan, who were appointed by Reagan, they've been here forever. They're like, how dare you come into Washington, D.C.? You stay far away from here. Like, this is our place. And I think that that is just manifested in what we see everywhere. I don't know how this is sustainable. I mean, how do, where does this go from here? Because obviously the political leadership everywhere is not picking up on this. You're, you're totally right. And it's scary. And it's the height of hypocrisy. I mean, you literally had cities burning to the ground, police departments burning to the ground from Minneapolis to Portland. You have the highest murder rates in the history of the U.S. in Chicago and New York and Los Angeles. And it's okay for that sort of criminal behavior to continue. And we can't fight against that, but it's not okay for people to come to Washington and protest peacefully if they support President Trump or his policies, but everybody else can. It's the ultimate height of hypocrisy. And when you have a mainstream media that's willing to to advance that narrative, I think the only way, and I don't know if it's possible, the only way forward is you gotta do a couple of things. You have to have accountability in court criminally with those who who broke the law and their privileged service, uh, be it at the FBI or DOJ, and then in terms of leadership for Russia Gay. And then you have to have a media willing to cover it fairly. And and that's the only way forward. But restoring journalistic integrity in this country, I don't I don't know if it's coming anytime soon, but 
that's part of my next uh, initiative when I started fightwithcash.com. I was kind of the idea behind it. I don't know if it's ever going to go anywhere, but we're trying. Let's talk about that um, because you just launched this a week or so ago. And this is great. You know, this is the sort of thing that, and you see this with January 6th or really anything, that right has no apparatus to fight back. They mm-hmm. don't have the structure. They don't have the people. They certainly don't have the funding in place. So this is a, another huge missing piece of the infrastructure on the right that we need to put together really quickly. So talk about uh, this new project. No, oh, yeah. Thanks for letting me do that. So, you know, Chairman Nunes and I, you know, go around the country on on, on Devin's Freedom Tour. Um, and we go to one or two cities a month now. And folks have been coming up to us and saying, you know, we 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 got your uh, we 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 really love coming to these events. And we saw that you, Cash, are suing a couple of outfits for defamation. We love the fight. You know, how can we be a part of it? And I didn't even realize, you know, selfishly, I didn't realize it was just such a bigger fight to take on. And they said, well, we're willing to donate and we're willing to do this. And at a certain point over the summer, I just said, well, let me launch. Let's stop being on defense. Let's go on offense. So I launched an offensive legal trust and we're right now fundraising. And the whole purpose of it is not really money for me. It's it's to raise money. And I've got a team of, of, of great lawyers on standby to do the work at a discount to take people's actions to court. If you have been defamed, if your privacy rights have been violated, if you are wrongfully accused in January 6th by the Department of Justice, these folks need time and money and resources for good attorneys to take their cases to court. And that's the whole purpose of um, fightwithcash.com is to raise money for this fight and then also give the money back to the people who need it. So the goal is to Come the fall, be filing a lawsuit a month on behalf of Americans across the U.S. And I don't care what your political background is. If you've been wronged by the media intentionally or you've been wronged by the DOJ or FBI or privacy acts have been violated, I want you to have your day in court. And that's the whole push here. And and I just put it together and hopefully it takes off. But uh, like any good movement, you know, in the beginning, you need resources and we'd love all the donations. And you can learn about it at fightwithcashwithak.com about our story and we just launched about six days ago and uh, we've gotten great feedback but we need we need all the support we can get well, we'll you know you only we really can. need like one victory i would think like to really kind of scare some of these people back into line um although you would you know with the uh covet covington kids you know that lawsuit um you want to think that the media kind of got pulled back into line uh, that you are going to be held accountable for this because these the regular Americans are easy targets, right? They're not rich. They don't have, you know, a fancy pants DC law firm on speed mm-hmm. dial. You know, they don't a retainer for their corporation, and you know they can't they can't really fight back. So I mean, I think you're doing a great a great thing, and I do believe you just need one or two big victories to kind of scare people straight, as they used to say in those 80s um, little <laughs> PSAs we used to get that Julie and I watched when we were rocking out to MTV. <laughs> okay, Cash is way too young for that. He no, not, you don't know. But no, I appreciate that. And you're totally right. And that's the other piece of what we're doing uh, with the fight with Cash movement is basically, we're not just going to fund your fights, we're going to follow your fights and publicize your victories. And All I right. agree, it takes one or two victories. But imagine having a victory against the CNNs, the Politicos and the Times that cost them seven figures. They'll start paying oh. attention then. When they when they are shown to have wronged American people, and that's the crux of our fight. And I believe there's many that have been wronged who just don't have the resources and 
the connections in the network to get their day in court. And and that's what we're fighting for. That is I think that's the only chance we have of cleaning up the media, the destruction that they are inflicting on, you know, it's one thing to go after Trump or even a congressman, not that that's right. I mean, definitely what they did to Devin Nunes and, you know, go like even his grandmother, like reading yeah. that in Lee Smith's book is just infuriating. Yeah. But, you know, now you, I talk to these people who ended up on the front page of the Washington Post, you know, like the zip tie guy or, you know, the guy in Nancy Pelosi's office or the guy who's the oath keeper. I mean, not only are they financially destroyed, but their reputations are gone. Um, they can't find jobs. You know, their friends and family have totally abandoned them. The human toll about what these media outlets are doing to people. Um, I mean, it's just it's inhumane, but you're right. They need to pay a hefty price for what they're doing. You're totally right. And that's the whole purpose of this movement. And we're willing to we're, you know, that's why we're going on offense. It's an offensive trust. And we're going to take the fight to them. And we're going to find individuals across America who've been hurt. And we're going to go to work for their for their behalf. And, and to do so, you know, you know, we have to raise some money and we're doing that right now. And hopefully some more big dollar donations start coming in. Um, so we can really get going on this fight in earnest uh, come Labor Day. So, Cash, in addition to this, are you doing doing anything, working on anything um, in addition to your 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 def- the legal defense project? Maybe a book, maybe a podcast. Why not? Right. Or you do. Do you have a podcast? Why I don't. Not? I don't have a podcast, but, I, you know, it's been floated. I'm Dude. working. On, I'm working on a book. We don't know if anyone will ever read it, but let's see if anyone picks up the the book deal in the beginning. So we're in the beginning stages there. And other than that, I'm, you know, just, uh, you know, trying to figure out ways to, you know, do some, stay in the national security realm and do some advisory work and, um, you know, and go on and go on and talk on national media when I can about not politics, but matters that I, that I covered such as defense and Intel and um, counterterrorism matters and things like that and, and show, uh, the failures of an administration um, when they happen and and hopefully help educate America on how we can do better. Would you go back in if there was another Republican elected um, or Trump? <laughs> I don't know if Trump's going to run again um, or whoever is that whoever is if they were to win, would you go back in? I would definitely consider it if it's the right president and, um, you know, you know, best so no to President Romney, like no to like a Romney <laughs> administration. President Sass. Hard, hard Oof. no, hard no. I'd probably go back in under Biden before I went in under those guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it's, it's look, look, honestly, it sounds it sounds like, you know, hackneyed and old school, but but serving was awesome. It was great. It was, you know, the best jobs I'm ever going to have. And if you can do it with the right leadership in place, it's the best because what you're doing is you can't do it in the private sector. You can't, you know, you can't go rescue hostages. You can't go kill terrorists. You can't safeguard our border. You can't take out Iran and take on China and Russia anywhere else in any other capacity except in in serving. And so, you know, it's always it's open. And if it's the right leadership, I would, you know, definitely consider going back in. Julie, do you have another? I have a final question so but before we do a final question julie do you have anything to 
I have a I have a question and a comment. So first, okay. as I said on Twitter the other day, because that's where you post all of your magical, profound thoughts, I said, it's too bad that Trump didn't put you and Richard Grinnell basically in charge of everything <laughs> throughout 2020. You should have been on the coronavirus task force. You should have been had a CDC, then maybe the FDA, DOJ. It would have been great to have you guys just take over everything. But um, I guess my last question, because I know our listener is going to want to hear this. Do you think anything is going to come out of the Durham investigation? Oh, man. Who? <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I, I mean, I hate to say I hope so, but I just don't have any inside knowledge on that. And, you know, from a legal standpoint, I don't see how he doesn't do something because laws were broken and the evidence is there. And we declassified a lot of it. And I know they're sitting on a ton of other material that they can declassify or use in prosecutions. And. I don't know if this Department of Justice is going to let him do it. Um, they already dropped the ball on the Bolton classified leaks case, and um, I don't see them taking on any big initiatives such as this that are going to show how reckless they were under the Obama administration. So I have small hope. Well, maybe okay. they're just waiting. They're going to arrest Hunter Biden. They're going to finish up that investigation <laughs> first now. and any then get to. Okay. That's, All right. Yeah, that's fine. This is fine. Okay, so here's my last question. So what is one thing that you want people to know about that was an accomplishment that you that you that was your accomplishment or something that you saw happen during the Trump administration that that you feel like doesn't get enough attention or should be brought to attention? You know, one awesome thing that people sure. can be proud of. Thanks. That's I mean, and that's not it's definitely far be it from me. I was privileged to be his deputy assistant and running counterterrorism and then the IC and DOD. So I think there's just like in my national security space, there's a couple of things all Americans should be super proud of. We took out Baghdadi, we took out Soleimani, and under President Trump, we brought 54 American hostages and detainees home during his administration. And that's just something everyone should be proud of, especially um, and give hope to people. And there still are people like the Austin Tice of the world who are unfortunately still overseas and held hostage that need to be brought home and and hopefully that fight continues but i was a proud part proud proud guy to be part of those those efforts under president trump all right well thank you so much for joining us this week we like to Gosh. end on a happy note we like to oh, start great. with the happiness go to the dark side for 59 minutes and then end with a happy note so that was good we don't really end on happy notes though no, i like it i mean you, we want to but, but it just gets do you guys need me to email you my bio or anything? Do you need any of that nonsense? No. Okay. No, we're good. We'll we'll put a link to your um, website in our show notes. And thank you all for listening. We will be back next Friday. And if you have not yet, please subscribe to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week. Bye.